don't know me, my name's Adrian. You're very, very welcome here. Basically, we're in this series that we've entitled uh, Building Culture. It's what we believe as those who've centered our life on Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is it doesn't mean that we now, therefore, kind of act as though we're kind of waiting in a departure lounge for Jesus to return and make everything good. Rather, we get this amazing destiny to look forward to that actually is to shape our lives now. And what we've said is that then if it's to shape our lives now, what does it look like then? for our lives to be shaped by Jesus in every way. What we believe is, through Jesus, we're now part of his kingdom, his rule and reign. And that his rule and reign has a culture that is revealed. And it's a culture that we see revealed at the end of the book, Revelation in the Bible, uh, verses chapter 21 and 22, where it kind of paints this vivid picture of what it looks like when Jesus gets everything as it's meant to be. And in it, what we've said is that actually, though that's our destiny, that's also then going to shape our present reality. Because Jesus said that his kingdom is to fill the earth and that's to happen now. It isn't just to happen in the future. Therefore, what we see that's going to happen in the future, we can expect to start to get worked out now. And so what we've said is, well, maybe there's this culture we're to build together as a community that is to be shaped by our destinies, to be shaped by who Jesus is and his rule and reign. And maybe it's not just for us as a community. Maybe it's also that we're going to get hold of the vibrancy of what this culture looks like and allow it to shape everywhere that each of us has uniquely been placed. Our workplaces, our education structures we're part of, our recovery um, uh, initiatives, our uh, neighbours, our kind of communities we live in, the shops we shop at, that all of it's going to spill out. And so what we've been doing week in, week out, is saying, well, what are some of the attributes then of this culture? And today I want to look at the attribute of honour. As I want us to look at building a culture of honour. Now in it, that can suddenly feel like, well, okay, these all seem a bit up in the air. And what I'm hoping to do through this time is to actually make it a little bit more concrete of what it truly means then to build with honour. Build with honour within our own lives, build with honour through who we are as a community and build with honour wherever we go. And so to start us off with that, I want us to firstly define what I mean by honour. If we do the next slide, it says this, the honour is to recognise value to respect, to esteem, and that ultimately impacts how we see and treat people. The honour is all about how we see and treat people, as well as how we see and treat ourselves. And to to be honouring to someone means that we're seeking to value them, esteem them, and respect them. Now, that sounds nice, but actually let's then found it a bit further then. So how do we know this is actually something that we're meant to do? Well, Romans 12 verse 10 says this. Be devoted to one another in love. Honour one another above yourselves. So there's this call that Paul kind of writes to these early believers in Romans. says, well, how are you meant to be defined as a community? And Romans 12 is all about this sense of renewing who you are as an individual and that renewing who we are as a community. And kind of does these different attributes. And he gets to this point. He says, well, how you're meant to live is not only in love for one another, a deep love, devoted love for one another. That's something we looked at a few weeks ago. If you didn't hear that, go online, www.theoasischurch.com. And you'll be able to listen to a fantastic talk on love. Um, But in it, he also then goes and says, well, you're also to honour one another above yourselves that you're to seek to value, respect, and esteem others beyond the value, respect, and esteem that you're looking for for yourself. Now, so in that, we can think, well, okay, that's a pretty high bar of how we're to relate together. Now, before we kind of rush in and say, well, how are we going to do this? 
I think it's really important that we, first of all, kind of, kind of put on the brakes and pause for a moment and bring a sense of reality, a reality of how we're then seeking to live out this honouring of one another, how we're seeking to build this culture of honour. And that's a reality that ultimately is given to us because of the background that, background that you and I have, that we are in this country. And as such, because we're in this country, that's the great British Isles, that there's a culture that we're already part of that influences, without us knowing, how we even be thinking in respect to valuing, respecting, and esteeming others. And we just have a reality check on that. You see, reality is, being in Britain, and whether you've been here all your life or you a recent addition, it will begin to permeate you. Part of being British is that we live with a sense of false humility. In other words, that we continuously underplay, undervalue what each other does and the part that we each play. And anyone who draws any attention to themselves is obviously someone who needs to be brought down a few pegs. And you definitely don't bring attention to anyone else because it's not how we do things. There's this kind of false humility. There's within it, within society, cynicism and spin. To be honest, in this city, over the next five days, it will be filled with cynicism and spin as the Conservative Party home they're in, their um, conference at, the, um, at Symphony Hall, and we get reports given over every word spoken, every sentence spoken, in order that people say, well, what did they really mean? And are they really going to carry, on, carry out that out? And so if we're not careful, we begin to allow that to kind of influence as well, that wherever we go, and we're always thinking, well, what do they really want here? Is that really what they mean, or are they wanting to spin this in order to manipulate me to do something? That we were within a culture where we tend to talk about people rather than talk to people. And so generally, we don't have people saying, coming up to us saying, hey, you're like this, that's amazing, or you're like this, that needs to be challenged. We tend to have people who continuously say, have you heard about so-and-so? And then we live within this culture where the, the celebrity is everything, this celebrity culture, where there's this kind of sense of there's these we mortals at one level, but then above us are these celebrities that are maybe through gifting they have, but are just placed far above many of us in terms of their academic achievements or their sporting achievements or musical prowess, that, that in it we, we kind of say, oh no, those people are really special. And we can think, and maybe as the church, we can look in and say, well, as followers of Jesus, we don't allow that to happen. And yet you find even within the church that becomes this kind of celebrity culture. And so we find, oh yeah, we are all believers, but, but there are some. Have you ever heard them? You never guess who I met the other day. Tim Hughes. <laughs> and it's that sense of what we see in the world begins to permeate who we are. And it's that that we have to take into consideration because if we're going to build with honour, we have to build with reality. Of understanding that we're having to challenge and change something of how we're already being pre-programmed. Now in it, with that, we could then think, well, okay, so this is something I've got to do. I've got to work hard at this. Now, for us to understand that, I want to just quickly tell you a bit about my life. You see, before I uh, had the privilege of playing a role within Oasis, I worked for the civil service. I worked for about five or six years within the civil service, within a particular department that was uh, the court service. And as such, I got to deal with lots of segments of different society and also with judges of different levels, including high court judges. 
And when you deal with a high court judge, there's a different way that you operate. And so when you go into a hearing, uh, everyone is dressed differently. And so if you go, most people will be dressed smartly. For me, I had to wear a gown. Now, I want you to know that it wasn't this gown. I didn't steal it when I left the civil service. This is a gown that I've borrowed for this morning. And the gown that I wore revealed something. You see, there was only three groups of people in the courtroom who wore this gown. It was myself in the role I was playing, barristers in the role they were playing, solicitors, no disrespect to anyone here, they couldn't wear one of these. And then ultimately, the high court judge, who was referred to as your honour. And what this gown meant was two things. One is it meant that whoever was wearing it was someone to be honoured, was someone who was of value, someone who was to be respected, and someone who was being to, to be esteemed. The other thing it did is it pointed to the one whose court it was all about, and ultimately it was a sign of respect and esteem and value of the judge who was sitting presiding over the hearing. And so for me, whenever I put this on, and believe me, as you can imagine, I would wear it not only in the courtroom, but out about. Because, to be honest, this is quite stylish. And what it did is, as I swooshed around the various corridors, is that people would stand back because they suddenly realised he's got the gown. He must be honoured. Now, some of you are laughing. They're thinking, really? No, honestly, look, look at this. You're already thinking, kind of Batman. Pretty cool. And so in it, it kind of did this. And the, the danger, I guess, I'm working at is this, that I think sometimes as believers, we can think that actually when it comes to honour, what we have to do is kind of work hard to not be within the society we're in and actually work hard and put on this gown that says, oh, yeah, yeah, I, I know now that this is a moment where I need to honour. And so just like in my court service days, I wore this, but ultimately had to take it off. It would have been slightly nuts if I wore it all the time. And so, but we can be like with believers, we can think, all right, with well, this honour thing, it's something I need to work hard to do, but it's not something that I'm doing all the time. It's like a, it's like a cloak, it's a gown that I'm putting on at different points. So I kind of get up in the morning and think, oh yeah, I'll carry on. And then I suddenly realise, oh no, honour other people above myself, therefore I'll put my honour cape on. And now it's the time of remembering, yes, I'm someone who's honoured, but also I get to honour Colin for a moment. So I'm just going to honour Colin. But now I've honoured Colin, I think it's cloak off time. And so I'll get on with the rest of my life. And the danger is we begin to live like that. And the thing is, if we start to think that honour is something that we're working at, something that we're seeking to do at different points, ultimately, it will mean that we begin to work hard at it. And one of the things that we often talk about at Oasis is, in following Jesus, it's not about working hard. Because if it's about working hard in our effort, ultimately, what's going to happen is that we're going to sweat. Because whenever you work hard, you sweat. And whenever you sweat, you smell. If you don't believe me, go into a classroom of 12 to 13-year-old boys. It has to be an all-boys school because it only works there. If there's girls present, they'll learn deodorant. But before that point, an all-boys school, 12 to 13-year-old, go in there. They do not understand that they could scent themselves to no one else to smell them. Genuinely, they all believe this is a sign that I'm a boy. And the more BO I can give out the more of a man that I really am. And in it, if we're not careful, we begin to confuse ourselves and think, oh yeah, the harder I work at this, the more I'm going to radiate something. Was actually all you ever radiate, all I ever radiate whenever I work hard at it, is like a 12 or 13-year-old boy. 
B.O. And it doesn't smell pretty. And therefore, it's really important that we understand that there is a reality check of how we live building honour. That we don't just cloak up at different points. That we don't kind of ignore the fact that we're in this society. But rather, rather than thinking this is about something we do, we need to first of all realise that as followers of Jesus, this is something that we are. See, we are honoured. And it's at that point that I want us to start. And if you like, what I want to do for the rest of this time is, I don't know if you remember doing those dot-to-dot drawings when you were a kid. Maybe you still do them. No judgment. That's totally cool if you want to do dot-to-dot drawings. You can progress and draw your own pictures. But with it, the dot-to-dot drawing, what's amazing of that, and it still kind of gets me to be honest, is you have this bit of paper and it just says, follow the numbers or letters around the page. And the, the crazier ones, they go up to like 300. And as you follow the numbers around the page, suddenly this amazing image is revealed. And the Bible can be like that. It's important that we join the dots of different things that are there because as we join the dots of different passages, we suddenly get this fuller, more vivid picture of what we're being called to live in and the good of. And that's what I want to do in respect to honour. And what I want to start off with is in Hebrews chapter 2. Where the writer of Hebrews kind of wants us to get hold as as followers of Jesus, the honour that has been given us. And so he says this, Verse 6 to 10 or 11. What is mankind that you're mindful of them? A son of man that you care for him. You made them a little lower than the angels. You crowned them with glory and honor and put everything under their feet. In putting everything under them, God left nothing that is not subject to them. Yet at present, we do not see everything subject to them. But we do see Jesus, who was made lower than the angels for a little while now crowned with glory and honour because he suffered death so that by the grace of God, he might taste death for everyone. In bringing many sons and daughters to glory, it was fitting that God for whom and through whom everything exists should make the pioneer of their salvation perfect through what he suffered. Both the one who makes people holy and those who are made holy are of the same family. So Jesus is not ashamed to call them brothers and sisters. This is an amazing passage that the writer of Hebrews wants us to get hold of, understanding that once we put our faith in Jesus, in his life, death, and resurrection, we are a people who are honoured beyond anything we could have ever imagined in our wildest imagination. Because he wants us to get hold of this fact that God has decided to honour us. And in a moment, I'm going to look at that. And he decided to honour us, not because of something we are. You see, the writer starts off with, what is mankind, that you're mindful of them. In other words, if we take a reality check of who we are, we're actually not that impressive. Now, at this point, some of you may feel a little bit offended. You think, oh, you don't know me, Adrian. You know some of the things I've got, I can show you my grades. Right? Compared to who God is, who is in and through everything, who holds everything together, who is perfect in love, mercy, justice, compared to who God is, who are we? We're like here for a moment and then gone. At best, sometimes people remember a better version of us. But we're just here for a moment and gone. And and the writer of Hebrews says, well, that's a reality. See, but God doesn't decide to honour us because of something we are or something we've done and achieved. Rather, he decides to honour us because he decides it. It's his will. 
He decided that actually I've created humanity in order that I can bestow my honour on them. That I can be one who reveals value, esteem and respect for them. And he says, how I'm going to do that is by revealing the cost of doing it and the outcome of what I've done. So in this passage, the writer says, well, what it cost for God to reveal his honour towards us was for his son Jesus to come and die. Pointing to a value, saying, how valuable are you? How much do I want to honour you? Well, I'm willing to send my own son to die for you in order that you could find peace with me. But not only that, the outcome. The outcome of what Jesus did is that he then caused every single one of us in putting our trust in Jesus' life, death and resurrection to become children of God. And in that we could think, all right, okay, that's, that's interesting, that's nice. We're children of God. What it means is that actually the honour God gives us, the respect, value, esteem he gives us is by saying, now you're my family. Now you're mine. That's your identity. It's just not something I bestow on you. It's also something that you become. It's who you are. And in it, it's quite amazing because at the end of this passage, what we're told is that that means that we are like Jesus. Both the one, that's Jesus, who makes people holy and those who are made holy, that's anyone and everyone who puts their faith in Jesus, are of the same family. That's phenomenal. It isn't that there's Jesus and there's us. It's that there's Jesus and there's us together. Which means that how Jesus has been honoured is how we are. So we are honoured like Jesus. Which means we have to just push in a bit more because there's a danger at this point. Think, all right, yeah, yeah, we're children of God. Yeah, we sing that song, don't we? No longer saves to fear, we are children of God. Yeah, God, I want us to move on. No, I want us to pause and take this on further because when we fully grasp how you, how I have been honoured, it transforms how we live. See, Peter, who is one of Jesus' friends, had the privilege of two moments where who Jesus was was revealed in its full intensity whilst he was on earth. Two moments that were to reveal how Jesus was honoured by the Father and the Spirit. See, Jesus, when he walked the planet, if you read the Gospel accounts, he spent his entire life being misunderstood, misunderstood and misrepresented and kind of misused by his family, by his friends, by his enemies, and by wider society. And yet, he seems to live within the whole thing with this deep understanding that however other people treated him, it didn't shake to the core of who he was. Now, at that point, you say, well, that's because he was God. Yes, he was God, but also he lived with this deep understanding as part of God, something that is now true for all of us. So Peter kind of records this moment of where God, Father and Spirit breaks in both at Jesus' baptism and also at Jesus' transfiguration of where God proclaims over Jesus everything that is true. He says this, 2 Peter 1.17, Jesus received honour and glory from God the Father when the voice came to him from the majestic glory. Peter was forever changed by this snapshot moment, a Polaroid moment, as they used to say, kind of take a picture, a selfie moment, we'll call it nowadays. Um, this moment he got to look in at the Trinity, of the Father, Spirit and Son working together. And Peter stood there watching in and it forever changed him because he got to see how the Father saw the Son. 
It says, it's all majestic glory saying, this is my son, whom I love. With him I am well pleased. Peter was forever changed because he suddenly saw something that was true for Jesus that now was true for us. That Jesus in this moment has proclaimed over him that who is he? Well, he's, he's the father's son. And the father is always loving towards him. He's always proud of him. And you see, what is true for Jesus, we've just seen, is true for us. Why? Because we're children, just as he's the, in the family, we're now in the family. Therefore, what, how Jesus has been honoured is how you and I are honoured. How do we know that? Well, we're honoured like Jesus, because it tells us in the Bible. So if we were to flick to the next slide, we find in Ephesians 1.5, Romans 8.15, that we're now adopted into God's family, that we get to approach God as Father. The Spirit of God is actually living within us to cause us to live and know the reality that we're those that are loved by a Father who is God. Which then means we get to live with this reality of how God sees us. That we're honoured like Jesus. That just as he proclaimed over Jesus, this is my son with whom I am well pleased, with who, on who I love with everything. He looks at every single one of us and says, this is my child, whom I love, who I'm well pleased with. This is the honour that we've been given. See, we can quickly think, oh yeah, I'm a child of God, and then just move on. No, no, we're people who God himself continuously wants to break in like he did in Jesus' life and just break into our day and say, oh no, you're one I love, that I'm well pleased with, you're mine. And you see, that's our destiny. It's our destiny we see in Revelation 22. We find in Revelation 22, this weird moment where it says, we're so gods that actually every single one of us will be tattooed with his name. It says our names will be on his forehead. Or his name will be on our foreheads. And we think, that's a bit weird. And we kind of brush it across, you know, think, oh no, does that mean now we need to all go down the tattoo studio and just get God on our front? Should we get it in reverse so it looks all right in the mirror? And we can contemplate. No, no, the point of it is this. I've got a phone. And it's my phone, but really it's Apple's phone. It's got a little Apple on it. I don't really love it. It's just an Apple phone. Practical reasons, I'm not a big fan. Ultimately, Apple owned this phone. I can say that I own it, but I, I don't really. If something goes wrong with it, I've discovered, the only people who can fix it are Apple. It will forever be theirs. They've actually sealed it all up, so there's barely anything I can do with it. And just like this is branded with a little Apple with a bite out. We can't go into that. But there's a little Apple on it. It's always this, that God wants us to know, just like we'd know a phone is apples, he wants us to know you're his, I'm his. And the thing is, nothing ever going to go wrong. We're just his. And that's our destiny, which means that we get to live in honour. Live in the honour, I flip to the next slide, that says this, that our day-to-day existence is one where continuously the Father is waiting alongside us, longing to just jump into our day-to-day existence, say, this is my child whom I love with him or her. I am well pleased. You see, for a moment, take chair off table. See, I think we just kind of hear it and think, yeah, whatever. Adrian's going to get excited for a moment. No, no, Adrian isn't just going to get excited. So I often talk in third person when I do get excited. It's this. You and I, I think we, we exist in our lives. And we kind of go on and we're just going on with our day to day. And we think, oh yeah, child of God, child of God. Whereas we don't allow this God who stood on tables above us, around us, below us, and just wanting to proclaim continuously throughout our day to day existence, you're mine. You, 
You are mine. And I love you. And I am so pleased with you. See, so often we kind of settle with a second best of thinking, oh no, I'll put on the gown and just remember for a moment. We've got this God who's just continuously wanting to break into our day-to-day existence. Saying, no, no, you're mine. I wish you knew how much I love you. I wish you knew how much I am so pleased with you. That's what he's longing to do. Which means that we have to live in this. And the danger is that it can be hard to live in. See, I can get excited on a Sunday and say, oh yeah, yeah, stand on the table. You're mine. But reality is that I forget it. I lose sight of it. I start to think other things are more important. And so I have to spend my days pausing, allowing the reality of how God sees me to soak in, to pause and remember, Jesus, I'm yours. Father, I'm yours. And what you say about me is you love me. And you're pleased with me. Even when I've messed up, no, you're still pleased to call me your own. And for some of us, you see, that truth, we kind of think, oh yeah, it sounds nice. But reality is we live with other things being spoken over us. We live with the voices of others who said something to us. Situations that we've faced that have produced something else in us. That mean that we kind of, if you like, have kind of noise reduction headphones on. Which means however much the father is shouting over us, you're mine. I love you. I'm so pleased with you. We just can't hear it. For me, I became a follower of Jesus when I was 14. But I'd say it was until the mid, my mid-20s where I started to really get hold of this fact. See, what I lived with was with these soundproof headphones with a reality of a voice of a lady who continuously ringed in my head. It was a lady who never meant really anything by it, I think. And I'm not going to name her because I don't want her ever to be disrespected. But it was my science teacher, age 12, no disrespect to science teachers, a lot of respect for them. But my science teacher at age 12 did this. There was a class of us, 30 of us. And she went around every single one of us and she said, we'll not get a GCSE, 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 we'll not get a GCSE. She got to me and four of us and she said, might get a GCSE. At age of 12, I left that classroom, not motivated to say, I'm going to prove her wrong, but rather affirmed in that I will never amount to anything. And I might fortunately be able to get a GCSE. Many of my peers in that class thought, okay, that's my track. And therefore they gave up on education and sought to pursue a fulfillment of everything she'd spoken over in that moment. I don't know why she said it, but she just did. And from that point on, I genuinely believe two things. One is this, that I was thick. And two is, well, the second is, I'm going to potentially show you the first. Second is, <laughs> so this shows, I can laugh at it because I'm genuinely secure now. The second is that I won't amount to anything. And most of my life through into adulthood was a firm belief in those two things. And however much I did, however many people's lives I might have influenced, I continuously lived with a sense of, you're thick, and you won't amount to anything. It meant that I had to get to this point of realizing, actually, my faith in Jesus is meant to transform my whole life. It's meant to cause me to live 
differently. And what Jesus has meant and what Jesus has done is he's caused me to understand I now have a father in heaven. And what he says about me is slightly different to my 12-year-old science teacher or my me as 12's science teacher. And what he says is this, you're mine and I love you and I'm well pleased with you. And what I had to learn is to repent. Now, repent, we can tend to think is, oh, right, that's where I've done something wrong, and I've asked forgiveness, and I go, right, wait, no, repentance is actually turning away from one way of living round to another. And what I had to do is say, right, God, I'm no longer going to live defined by what someone said. I'm going to live defined by what you say. Not, I'm not going to do things to prove it. I'm just going to live defined by what you say. And day by day, I'd, I'd just wake up and say, what you say, God, even though sometimes it doesn't feel real, God, I, I say, what you say about me is that I'm loved, I'm yours, and you're pleased with me. And then it, we're going to think, well, wasn't it just like a mind over matter thing? Well, no, it's not that, because also it's the Holy Spirit who's working within us, causing us to know that we have this Father who's longing to reveal his love to us. Is that over time, through changing direction of saying, I'm going to live in this way. I suddenly realized this, this is how I'm to live my everyday life. As one who's honored by God. One who's honored, who's loved. One who's proclaimed, is well pleased with. See, for some of us here, not all of us, for some of us, we just know what it is to live under words that have been spoken about us. Words that have been spoken to us, situations we've faced. And for us, my appeal is this. Who you are when you put your faith in Jesus is defined by a father. And what he says about you is that he loves you more than you could dare to believe. And he is so outrageously pleased with you. And for today, for some of us, we will get to apply how we build this in terms of culture. But for some of us, I feel it's so important this that we see this as a line in the ground moment where we think I'm no longer going to be defined by what others have said, what situations have painted in me. I'm rather going to allow myself to be defined by how God sees me and how he's honoured me. And just wanted for a moment, can we just close our eyes? Just so we're not going to distracted by the people and for it just to be between us and God. And if you know that you're kind of in this, you just think, man, I want today to be a line in the ground moment where I say, I'm going to have to work this out, but today I want to say I do want to work it out. I no longer want to be living under what others have said, under situations have faced, but rather I want to live, Father, how you see me, as yours. The one that you love fully, the one you're well pleased with. If that is something you'd like to say, yeah, today that's it. I want you to just do a brave thing, just put your hand up. If you want to do it now, there you go. Number's done it. Thank you. I'm just going to pray for us while we've got our hands up. Jesus, I thank you for each individual that said, Jesus, I want to move, move from this point differently. And I pray, God, would you cause it to happen? I want to pray, Holy Spirit, would you cause the reality of the Father's love to overwhelm us? And I pray, God, would we be those that are characterized from this point on, learning what it is, Day by day, just keep allowing this truth to penetrate our hearts that we are your children, whom you love, with whom you are well pleased. 
ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen. Okay, if you put your hands down. Right, we're going to push through very quickly. It's so important that the foundation is key. And that is that we are those that are honoured. And in being honoured, it means that we then can honour. So we get to live to honour. I'd say we get to live to honour in two ways. We get to live to honour God and we get to live to honour others. Let's briefly look at God then. How do we honour God? Well, I'd say we learn how to honour God because Jesus taught us it. He said this in his prayer that he said, this is how you're to pray. It wasn't like parrot fashion. It was like, this is the essence of it. Matthew 6, 9. This then is how you should pray. Our Father in heaven, hallowed be your name. In other words, as you understand how you've been honoured, in understanding that God now is your Father, the natural outworking of that is that now you honour him. And that word hallowed literally means honouring your name as holy, set apart as any, as above anyone else's name. And so Jesus says, well, the natural working of understanding your honoured is to honour God. So how do we honour God then? How do we seek to say, God, I want to honour you with everything that I am? Well, we just join in what's already going on at this moment in time. So Revelation 4 has this vivid picture of how in, at this moment, where God is in the heavenly dwell is a place where there is continuous honouring of who he is. And there's this vivid picture of this kind of quite spectacular group of creative beings or created beings that are continuously honouring God. And it says that God is at the very centre of all of this group of heavenly beings. And all they're doing is continuously bowing before him at the centre, on a throne. And what it means is that we have to continuously come and say, God, as you've honoured me, I honour you by putting you again at the centre of my life. I'm saying everything else that my, revolves around my life actually revolves around you. And so we honour God by simply saying, God, you're at the center. Everything else is governed by you. Everything else is permeated by you. So we honor God. Then lastly, we want to honor others. And if you like, I'd say, just as for some of us, we've had like a stake in the ground moment, a line in the ground moment. For us as individuals, I'd say this is a line in the ground moment for us as a community. And I'd like to appeal to us, I'm just going to mention them very briefly, but to go for six things in how we seek to honor one another and how we seek to honour everyone we come into contact with. Because if we're really going to be a community that builds honour, we need to understand what that looks like amongst ourselves, that the people walk in and think, this looks different. But it's not only that it looks different when we're inside, it's also as we get scattered into the unique places and environments we're in, we get to live in the same way that then allows others to taste and see, through the honour we give them, this God who's honoured us and is longing to honour them. So I say six things. First one, in speaking. Hebrews 3.13, encourage one another daily. Let's be those who are quick to build up and seek not to tear down. Let's be those who arrive whenever we're gathering thinking, who can I build up today? Because remember, we're living out that place of understanding we're as honoured as we ever could be. We're not looking to be honoured ourselves. We just think, man, God honours me. Don't you know me? I'm Adrian, loved by God. Man, he's like well pleased with me. That's quite a way to arrive, isn't it? Who am I? I'm Adrian. God really loves me and he's well pleased. Therefore, I get to share that with everyone else. And the truth is true for you too. That you too get to arrive like that, thinking, man, I've got my holster on and my encouragement guns are in. <laughs> you're all laughing. You're never going to forget this illustration. <laughs> and I'm walking around thinking, who am I going to get? Woohoo! I know. It's over here. 
encouragement to the woods. <laughs> Next one. <laughs> Ali, a bit of encouragement over there. And with it, it doesn't have to be that cheesy. Please don't walk in the building doing this, saying, I've come to give you some encouragement. That ain't going to help anyone. Jenny, you don't need to use that introduction, but we will all remember it, that when we arrive, arrive with the encouragement belt on, guns are ready to think, who am I going to build up now? Every conversation, we want to leave people thinking, man, I feel built up. And it works not only in who we are, it works out there, in the world. The number of people that all I've done at the end of a conversation is gone up in a shop and said, hey, where's your manager? Gone up to the manager and said, hey, I just want to say, that member of staff is amazing. Like what they did was phenomenal. Generally, the manager then says this, no one's ever come to me and said that a member of my staff is good. Man, what's, that's so screwy, isn't it? Why? And it transforms. So we can encourage. Second thing, understanding. Can I encourage us? Romans 12, 10, honor one another above yourselves. This is key in terms of understanding. Let's be quick to seek to understand before we seek to be understood. Third thing, positioning. Jesus tells this kind of crazy story, Luke 14, 10, about when you're invited to someone's house for dinner, don't seek to take a top-end seat, but seek to go and sit down at the bottom. He says, why? Because then you'll be raised up. You're told, come on, take a seat of honour. Now, at this point, you could think, well, isn't that false humility then? Let's always take the low seat and wait. Come on, come on, come on, call me forward. You know what's going to happen now. That's not what Jesus is talking about. He's meaning this, that when you understand how you've been honoured, you realise that when you go into a setting, you don't need to look around the room thinking, how do I compare and compete to everyone else in here? And therefore I think, well, I'm better than them, worse than them, I'll sit here. Now it's like you look and you think, man, we're all loved. God's really pleased with all of us. Who cares where we sit? Who cares how I compete or compare to anyone else? It doesn't matter about the positioning. Fourth thing, exposing. Now, in this one, as I said, first meeting doesn't mean um, it's a different thing that I'm talking about. 1 Corinthians 12, 26. One part is honoured, every part rejoices. Just so you don't, if you don't know me, I just know there's some things you won't forget that one. You're embarrassed, but you won't forget it. We need to be good at exposing one another's successes. Because when you're not competing, you can celebrate when one another's honoured. And we need to be good at that. We need to be good at saying, hey, what you did was great. Not then expecting a high five back. Oh, yeah, you're great as well. It doesn't matter what we're looking for. So we're looking to say, hey, where and how can I build others up? Where and how can I celebrate in what others have done? We want to be good at exposing that. We also want to be good, fifthly, at covering 1 Corinthians 12, 23. The parts that are unpresentable are treated with special modesty. At different times, different ones of us will make mistakes. Different ones of us will have things going on where actually it isn't a moment where we need to be paraded. It's rather a moment where we need to be covered. And we need to ensure that as we build something that is honouring of one another, we're seeking to protect rather than in those moments to expose and bring harm. I remember a guy once who was part of Oasis, no longer part of Oasis, but I remember him coming up to me and confessing just how he'd messed up. And generally, whenever someone confesses they've messed up, it's usually coupled with the next thing. It was this, I think you should chuck me out. They thought the only way forward was for them, out of how they'd lived, was for everyone to know it and to reject them and punish them by throwing them out. 
So I said, I think we could probably do this a different way. I think what I'd like you to do is whenever we gather is sit with me. And I want you to know that I'm going to protect you and we're going to journey this through and we're going to work it out. We need to be a community that aren't looking to push others out, saying, look how bad they are. Because genuinely when we're doing that, all we're trying to do is say, hey, look how good I am. But we already know we're as good as we could ever be. God said he's well pleased with us. Therefore, what we get the privilege of doing is saying, actually, let's seek to stand alongside and cover and move forward. Which brings me on to the last thing is let's be good at confronting. So it doesn't mean that we just become this tolerant community who says, hey, anything goes, doesn't matter. But it definitely doesn't mean that we therefore go up to people and say, what you've just done is out of order. What do you think you're doing? It's rather that we get to confront in a very unique way. We get to draw alongside people and say, hey, don't you remember who you are? You're God. More love than you could ever believe. One who's well pleased with you. And you're made for so much better than that. My wife, Lucy, often uses that line with me. When I'm kind of not quite living as I should do, particularly in terms of responses to my kids when they do stuff and I kind of, kind of, the bear comes out, what have you doing? And at those moments, Lucy will just come beside me and at that point she doesn't say, what do you think you're doing? She just says, Adrian, you're better than this. As soon as she says that, one is there's something in me that thinks, the, the other part and the bit that wins is the bit that thinks, I am better than this. I'm one who's loved. One who's God's, one who he's well pleased with. And that's how I operate. Therefore, I say sorry and I move on. I want to call us to live differently together. And therefore, I want to call us with two things to finish off with. First one is this. Are we living in the fact that we're honoured? That's like a closed question. It's a horrible question, isn't it? It's like a yes or no. It's no like a, yeah, sometimes, sometimes not. It's like yes or no. Why I like yes or no in these sort of moments is because I think sitting on the fence is painful. Therefore, don't sit on it. Come over either side. Yes, I am. No, I'm not. If you're not, the call is, what do you need to do then to live in it? If we are, I'd say then, what do you need to do to live seeking to honour God and others more at the moment? What is it for you? I want us to give us just 30 seconds. If we close our eyes, I want us to say, where am I in those two questions? Then I'm going to pray for us and we're going to end. So 30 seconds, go. God, I want to pray for each and every one of us. And I thank you that you know exactly where we're at at the moment. And I want to pray that for each and every one of us, we would live daily, moment by moment, hearing you breaking in to our everydays, proclaiming over us that we're yours. And that you're besotted with us. You love us and you're well pleased. And I pray, God, as we live like that, I pray it would define how we live towards each other and how we live to others we come into contact with in order that we would be vessels that bring the honour that we know from you onto others in order that everyone we come into contact with would live with that knowledge of what you're longing to shout over every human being that they're yours 
that you love them and that you're well pleased with them. I ask this for your glory, Jesus. Amen.